great. That's here. Thank you so much. So I'm just going to read the, the reading from Psalm 78. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, that they in turn would tell their children, and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I didn't even know I was going to do this reading. <laughs> Lord, I just feel like as, as we've been praying for Erica, as we're to tell you, Lord, your word says that we're to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he's done. Lord, I just ask that we would be able to tell the kids in our kids' church the same way, the same way I remember in my own family when my sister was healed miraculously of ovarian cancer, and I remember her telling Mason when he was five, and him as a five-year-old saying, I think God just changed those cells. I think God just changed those cells from the yucky cells into the good whole cells. And then he healed Mason when Mason was older. We just declare that the same thing will happen again in Jesus' name. We declare that we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he's done. Yeah, God can do anything. Man, then don't leave here today without getting prayed for, okay? Okay, afterwards you come and we are going to pray for you. We better let this man preach. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let us not be afraid to ask you for miracles and wonders in our day and yeah. in our time. Let the, let the challenge and the charge that you've given us today to tell our children, to tell the next generation of the wonders that you've done, would you cause us to be awakened? Would you cause us to be challenged if we've stopped looking for miracles, if we've stopped looking for wonder, if we've stopped believing for great things? Would you allow the capacity for wonder and belief that is in our children to just permeate us today? so that that could go on, that we could tell them, Father, I know you've already just overwhelmed Gordy with what you've been speaking to him this week. I pray that you would allow him to be an effective translator from your words to our ears, 
open our hearts. Thank you for what you've already been doing here today. We just ask that you would continue that through him in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Joanna. Sorry for that one-minute prayer. That's all right. A vineyard minute. So, we, if you're just joining us today, we are going through a, a teaching series, as mentioned at the beginning, on the upside-down kingdom, why children matter to God. Today, I want to talk about uh, intergenerational discipleship. And when I say intergenerational discipleship, my argument is going to be that it's mutual. It goes both ways, that we are discipled by putting a child in the midst. We are continually being uh, transformed in, into fresh understandings of the kingdom of God that we wouldn't have if there were no children in our midst. Again, imagine the terrible tragedy of, of First Nations villages whose children were taken away and they had no children left in the, in, in, in the grief and the loss as we've heard testimonies over the last few weeks that that caused. And so we, we understand that the child in the midst is God's heart for the kingdom and what I want to do is, is appropriately begin this talking about imagination and story in, in, and the role of our imagination and the role of story in that imagination uh, in passing on the legacy of faith and how important that was in the Bible, how important it is, has been through church history, how important it is for our generation today, for you and me and for our kids and our grandkids um, so I think it's appropriate that I begin talking about story by telling you a story. And the story is from the book Ben Israel. I don't know how many of you have heard the story, but this is the story of a modern Jew. I think Arthur Katz has now passed away, but a remarkable story of a, a, a Jewish uh, Marxist and an atheist. And he would often argue with Christians about the faith. And, but what got him over and over again was Christians kept uh, defying his categories, uh, his little sound bites, presumptions of what Christians were like. He kept meeting these crazy Christians, or like, not crazy in a bad way, but just, just so disarming him by, by the way that they were to him. And it got his attention. And, and so finally he said, well, i got to resolve this. So I'm, what I'm going to do is, he had a, he had a legal mind, a, a, a very academic mind, um, and, and, and was a Marxist. And so he wanted to disprove once and for all Christianity. So he, he said, what I'll do is I'm going to read the New Testament, and I'm going to, you know, we'll settle the argument. Because he, he was a master uh, debater. And so he began to read the New Testament. And as he was reading it, uh, he actually started getting kind of attracted to Jesus. He kind of started liking Jesus. Got quite enamored with him, and, and, you know, and, and, and Jesus was just growing on him. And, and he, he, he was getting to the point where he really liked this guy. Until that famous story of when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. And they brought her and threw him at his feet. And we still don't know where the man was, but they threw this woman at his feet, and they said, the law says, stone her. 
What do you say? Now, up to this point, Arthur Katz was doing pretty good with Jesus, but he realized that it was now over for Jesus. He realized that they had brought Jesus into an impassable situation. It could not be resolved because he had been proclaiming mercy and grace. He had been teaching forgiveness. And earlier in the book of John, it had said, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Arthur Katz realized to his great sadness that Jesus was trapped because he also said that he was fulfilling the law. So he, he began to just imagine, what would I do if I were in Jesus' place? And he, his legal, brilliant mind, he said, I searched my mind, exhausting my resources of logic and reason, and finally conceded there was no answer. There was no way out for Jesus. So, fully expecting the worst, I reopened the book, and I read on, and I found Jesus bending over poking his finger in the dirt, and then came his answer. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. I gasped. A sword had been plunged deep into my own being. It was numbing and shocking, yet thrilling, because the answer was so utterly perfect. It defied cerebral examination. It cut across every major issue I'd ever, I had ever anguished over in my life. Truth, justice, righteousness, integrity. I knew that what I had read transcended human knowledge and comprehension. It had to be divine. Jesus was God. This story under, underscores the innate power of story. It's no accident, my dear friends, that 80% of the Bible comes to us as story. And our text that Joanna just read calls us to pass on our faith to the next generation through the telling of stories, of these stories. Now, just quickly in review... We've been talking about the upside-down kingdom is by nature intergenerational. It was a significant and unique trait of Israel that they identified themselves and defined themselves, defined themselves as a multi-generational people. Even God, when he introduced himself, said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was three generations that he transcended when he identified himself. And even as a revelation of the triune God, God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And theologians have studied the generation of the Father, the generation of the Son, the generation of the Spirit, how that these three persons within the one God had different eras and epochs and times that they came and they teamed and they tag-teamed and they worked together. And they still are today. The very essence, as Reinhold Niebuhr writes in The Gift of the Jews, he's quoted by um, Thomas Cahill, in the book of the, in the, in the, the gifts of the Jews, where he, he argues that if our vision can be fulfilled in one generation, it's too small. Reinhold Niebuhr said, nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. 
Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. And then Cahill comments that accomplishment is that accomplishment is intergenerational, maybe the deepest of all Hebrew insights that the Jews gave us. So therefore, the highest priority as I seek to live my life is not just to finish well. Well, it is to finish well, but it, to redefine that. I'm not in a solo race here. Because if I finish well and the next generation doesn't, I haven't finished well. I haven't passed on. I haven't finished my course and run the race. And, and you get that in Paul as we read that reading from Timothy. There's a passion in Paul as he's passing on uh, to his son Timothy. So therefore, the highest priority with the child in the midst for us is to pass on that legacy of faith. Whereby having a child in the midst, as Scott prayed so beautifully in pre-service prayer, we are reminded of God's heart for us continually. We're reminded of the importance of humbling ourselves and continually walking in repentance. Children are not perfect and they can be childish and sinful, but they have qualities that we must constantly hold before us in the uh, in the community of faith. Lord, just touch our brother. Just thank you, Lord. You brought him and he's amongst us. Thank you, Lord. So, with children in the midst, it results in, in mutual discipleship. For example, oops. How many know there's mutual discipleship going on here? This is my granddaughter, Alina. And I have found how important it is for me in my walk of faith to learn to be silly. The gift of silliness. Isn't it? Right, Anna? It's a no... Oh, my God. The kingdom comes, doesn't it? And so there's, there's a mutual discipleship that, that goes on. Uh, uh, and there's Grandma with, with Alina, and already the next generation is learning to disciple the younger ones. And the power story. This is Hannah, by the way, Hannah. This is Hannah. See, uh, I realized that I've done a series on kids. And it's been three weeks and I haven't even showed one of my grandkids. So you, <laughs> those of you that are uh, members here know what a miracle that is. So th this analogy helps us understand what's at stake. What's at stake? Uh, it, the analogy that I think of is, is, uh, is of a relay race. And I'm reminded, first of all, of that story by Rob Bell, and I've shared it several times with you, about a family in his church that had a three-year-old and then a brand-new baby. And the three-year-old girl was kind of a bit, a bit jealous of her baby brother and kind of showing some signs of, of some angst about him. And, what, and she kept pestering her parents, Can I, I need some time alone with my baby brother, and they were pretty worried about that. And so she kept pestering them and pestering them. So finally they said, okay, we'll let you do it. And they put a monitor in the room and stood outside the room and were ready to rescue the little guy in case he got in trouble. 
And as they're listening to the monitor, Rob Bell tells the story of this family. It's a true story. Uh, they listen, and the little girl comes up to her baby brother and looks over at him, and she says, can you remind me what God looks like? I've almost forgotten. <laughs> wow. So there's, an, a, there's a relay race that's going on, and, and kids help us remember what God is like. He brings them into the midst, and you, you'll all know in a relay race that, that often it involves you know, multiple runners, usually four, you know, the four by 100. It involves uh, four people working well together, doing their part, but there's a critical, most relay races are runner, won or lost at the baton pass. And at that point of the baton being passed, there's a running together, isn't it? They're running to side by side, and it's a, it's a little bit of a weak analogy because I don't want to be running together with my grandkids for two seconds. I want to run a lot longer together. But there is that passing of the baton and the running together. And it's the race, the, the amount of work that they will put. Of course, they have to be good athletes and good runners, but the amount of work they have to put into that process of passing that baton and getting the timing right. And how many races by... Uh, Relay runners have been lost when the runners themselves were faster than the rest of the teams, but it was that, that transfer. And so this analogy helps us understand what's at stake. It helps us understand one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Uh, and it's found in the book of Judges. This, I've wept over this verse many times. As a youth pastor, I used to it just it used to burn in me that after a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and just quickly in context, this was where, where Joshua, Moses had, first of all, Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the desert, and of course, they didn't get, that generation didn't get in, but the next generation was led by Joshua, and they went in and possessed the promised land, and then Joshua and his generation died, and then sometime after that, we don't know if it was the next generation or several generations, but somewhere somebody dropped the baton. Somebody dropped the baton. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. Then, now notice what happened. Notice the sequence. It wasn't that there was a bunch of very seductive evil Canaanites around them that were seducing them away with all of their fancy gods and goddesses and, and, and fancy pagan rituals. No, that came later. First of all, there was a vacuum. This generation didn't have the story. And then the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Then they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger. The people of God, listen to me, the people of God are only one generation from extinction. So, there's a similar battle in our time. Our children, our grandchildren, this next generation, there is a war and a battle for their minds and their hearts. And I'll tell you what, we don't get a lot of time with them. The church doesn't get a lot of time with them. And even parents don't get a lot of time with them. The media gets a lot of time with them. Schools get a lot of time with them. There's a battle. So how do we approach this battle? Do we have a siege mentality? 
Hold the fort, for I'm coming. How do we do this? Well, there's been two approaches traditionally that the church has had. The first is what I, this, the siege mentality, where the church is an alternative society. And this is where the church sees the world as diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. And so everything in the world is regarded with suspicion. This was my upbringing. I was raised where I wasn't allowed to go to movies, dances. Art and culture was all regarded as worldly and therefore allied with the devil. And so we formed our own kind of Christian counterculture and, and, and enclave. And, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not kidding, probably Hold the Fort was an old song we used to sing. It was one of the number one songs. <laughs> the idea was the church is fragile. We're just hanging on. We're just the last faithful ones before Jesus comes. I had no concept of the universal church. I had no concept of church history. I had no concept that the church around the world was exploding, especially in non-Western nations. I had no idea of the traditions from the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and the great Protestant traditions. And, and I was stuck in this little enclave. And the world was seen as bad and evil. And so that, that, that's a... The second is, is the opposite extreme where the church is seen as a parallel society with the church. And this is where we so peacefully coexist with the world we don't have any discernment. The other day I was listening to one of the pop stations in the city and I like dance music. I want to say that dance music is of God. He created it. It's wonderful. And it's, it, you, know what, you know what dance music is best for? For babies and toddlers. It is fantastic. We, when I'm with my grandkids after supper time and they're just like bouncing off the walls, we get out the dance music and we start, I got some videos I can show you. We get out there and we, I mean, we just go, man. And these kids, they know how to dance. Woo! And then nine o'clock, bam, they're sleeping. And I'm sitting there with a glass of wine going, God is good, right? And so, so I, like, I like dance music. So I'm listening to 94.5 or whatever the station is. I can't, I can't remember. But I, all of a sudden, this song's just real catchy. It's going, uh, we're up all night to get some, up all night to get some. She's up all night for good fun. I'm all night to get lucky. I'm singing, oh, that's a cool song. And then all of a sudden, I go, what are you singing? What are you singing? Right? So, so uh, with apologies to Daft Punk, but... Uh, uh, and my point isn't even to throw the song out. That's not the point. But the point is to teach our kids to engage the culture and to be discerning and to say, well, that's a nice tune. Well, what do you think the message is being sent? And, and bless my daughter. She's amazing. We'll, just, we'll, we'll have all these pop songs going. All of a sudden she goes, nope, that one's not, nope. <laughs> I, I, it would have gone right over my head. But she's got that mama discernment. Beautiful. I love that. So there's, there's an argument that I would like to make that it's not either or, but both and. That we engage the culture, but with discernment. And at the core of the conflict, C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes on this whole area of imagination and story, uh, identified a, a core human need that we all have called, and he, he, he coined a German phrase, Seinsrucht. So with apologies to any Swiss or Germans here today. Seinsucht. But basically what it means is that there are, there are powerful forces that are pulling our children away from the faith. And at the root of those forces, we're, we're driven by a profound sense of unquenchable longing and desire. 
Katie Lane called it constant craving, has always been, has always been constant craving. And, and we all know that's there, that longing. It's this burning longing for God. Augustine defined it as our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And in Lewis's, C.S. Lewis's biography, autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he defined that longing as joy. The first he called it the fool's way. The fool's way is where people identify the longing, so they set goals that they think will help them satisfy that longing. And they go about trying to fulfill those goals. They focus their energies and their resources on, on reaching that goal. Only when they get to that goal, it it, they realize that it hasn't satisfied that longing. It was only a mirage. I still remember driving with my Pentecostal church planner dad as we would go across the prairies, especially in southern Alberta, like Vulcan, now the Star Trek capital of the world. Um, the, the, amen, Vulcan. And... Uh, uh, and Lethbridge and some of these places, it's so flat you can see your dog run away for three days. And we go out, we go driving, and, and I'd see this beautiful lake on the, on, ahead of me. I go, Dad, look, there's a lake. It's so hot and dry here. And we get there, and the lake was gone. And, then, and, and it's like that. It's like that sense of a mirage. And so we were on this restless search to fulfill it that way through some created thing or some uh, self-made goal. The second is what he calls the sensible way. And this is a little bit hard to understand with his a bit of archaic terminology. But what he means is, is that we intuitively recognize that this longing can never be fulfilled in this life. Maybe we've tried. So we suppress it. And we suppress it by uh, just entertainment, medication. Uh, we amuse ourselves to death, as one author said. Trying to suppress and push down. But the problem is we're human. And so it keeps popping up. That longing keeps coming back. And we grab onto something. And, 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 uh, and, and Lewis said when we try to, we, we try to make that our joy, uh, it, it becomes an addiction. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. Or the third is, is that the longing cannot be fulfilled in this world as we know it with our five senses that there's actually another world available where that longing is fulfilled. It's the world where God is, where we find our true home in God. And we find the roots of that longing itself. In Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis described the difficult childhood he went through. And it was characterized by what he called a lack of beauty. And his mama died early, so that was hard. Then he was separated from his older brother, who went to boarding school. Later, Lewis went himself, which was a horrible experience. Not as bad as residential school, but almost. Uh, and his father was distant emotionally from him. So he never felt this freedom to communicate well with his father. So C.S. Lewis said he survived through his imagination. His imagination provided relief. And during his time as a child, like, I don't know how old he was, maybe a preteen, he wrote a novel called Animal Land. It's still available. You can still get this novel that C.S. Lewis wrote as a kid. But the, the imagination was a, a way that he began to find a way to, to access the other. 
this world beyond our senses, he began to realize, could be accessed through imagination and story. And of course, that was the inspiration for a lot of the fantasy literature that he did. Now, imagination, of course, is the faculty of imagining, of forming mental images or concepts of what is not actually present to your senses. So, he... Lewis outlined three kinds of imagination. The first is delusional, where the person imagining does, can, can actually tell the difference between imagination and reality. Of course, that's not good. The second kind is what he called morbid castle building. And he said he did a lot of that in his childhood, where he was the center. It was kind of a narcissistic, egocentric, self-absorbed pleasure-seeking to, to cope and, and survive. But the third kind of imagine, what he called the highest imagination, he connected to this thing, this longing, this desire for joy. And um, he, he describes it several times in his autobiography, but this was so critical for Lewis. It was, it was this Seinsucht, this desire for the other. Um, and so this, there was this disconnect in his childhood between goodness and beauty. Now, is anybody relating to that? Yes. This disconnect between goodness and beauty. On the goodness side, it was all obligation and should. And then it seemed so separated from, from beauty and, 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 and things that brought him delight. He, said, he, he described it this way. Goodness was accompanied with obligation that froze my feelings. And imaginative literature served the purpose to unfreeze my feelings and captured my heart where goodness and beauty were again reintegrated. And as an atheist, get this, he was a, he was a literature critic. He was a well-outspoken atheist and literature critic before he became a Christian. But as an atheist, he came across George MacDonald's fantasy literature, a book called Fantasties. And he said it totally captivated him, and he said his imagination was baptized. He said he got baptized later, but his imagination got baptized first. And then he met uh, J.R. Tolkien and Dyson and Charles Williams and some of these other guys, and they, they, the feeling part got resolved, and they helped him with the intellectual part, and heart and mind came together, and he became a Christian, and they formed the Inklings, which was a group of guys that sat around at a pub discussing literature, and these, this group of inklings talked about the power of imagination in passing on the faith. They're all Christians, different kinds, Catholics. Um, I'm not sure, well, Owen Barfield was a Christian. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, Tolkien, Williams. And out of that inklings came Narnia. Out of that inklings came Lord of the Rings. And when C.S. Lewis said, my imagination was first baptized and I followed soon after, I thought, we have a whole generation in North America. I, it doesn't matter who I talk to, whether it's Koreans, young people, or my next door neighbor. Whenever you talk about Narnia or Lord of the Rings, their eyes, oh yeah, their imaginations have been baptized already. The power of story. I love that story that C.S. Lewis tells about the little boy who wrote, cause he, and I think I'll try to some Sunday take some letters out, because he used to write, he wrote every child that ever wrote him, he responded. And one little boy was so upset, he wrote 
He said, Dear Mr. Lewis, I'm really feeling bad, and I hate to admit it, but I think I love Aslan more than I love Jesus. <laughs> so Lewis and his genius just wrote him back and basically told him, Hey, you love Jesus. See, that's the power of story. It, it, it integrates goodness and beauty. So to wrap up, and for those of you that know me, you know what that means. Oops. Did I? There we go. Oh, yeah. I wanted to, wanted to, just the power. This is my favorite moment in Lord of the Rings. You remember where the flute starts playing, that Celtic flute? And you start getting goosebumps, and you're crying, and you don't know why. Right? <laughs> And Frodo says, I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. (laughs) 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 I mean, what kind of... Sermon and platitudes and principles can do that, right? But it's the power of story. Our vision, and, and uh, I'm going to give you the, the new national vision that we've launched. National vision we've launched, we're going to introduce it in full at our national gathering next year in Ontario. But our national vision is part of the newly formed national team. It's not a new vision, but we, we found ways to reword it. And we've just said this, encounter Jesus, live the story. Encounter Jesus, live the story. We are, and I kind of write out, uh, it was kind of a sign to me to, to, to articulate that, to kind of flesh it out a little bit. And one of the things we say is, we are committed to passing on the story to our children and youth in such a way that they encounter Jesus in their own right and find their place in the story. Now, if that's going to happen, we have to find our place in the story. We have to be immersed in the story. Right? Living it out, uh, uh, being so immersed in, 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 the, in the gospel that, that it's just fleshed into our lives. And then as we live the story, we pass it on. As we're running, we have that baton, and our kids run with us. Then we're passing it on. And I thought, I was so moved. My son-in-law came a, a month ago, and he's pastored for seven years in the Swiss Reformed Church. You know, they're back in Calgary. They visited us. A month ago, he came to our church and sat right over here, and he looked over. It still moves me, because Joel was interviewing me last night, this guy that's doing a documentary on our church. And he said, what, what is the thing you're most proud of about your church? I always have problems with that kind of language, but I knew, I knew what he meant. And, and, I, and I thought of Marcus, what Marcus said to me after the service. He said, Gordy, I've been in churches all over the world. He said, I sat over there and I looked across at the man that was sitting to me next to me and I realized there was no other church in the whole world where he could have felt at home like he felt sitting in the seat of your church. So what does that speak to children when they see the diversity, the eclectic, socially, economically, when we love the difference, when we love the broken, with the chili wagon? Do you understand that's discipleship going on? We're living the story. What a privilege. What a thrill. Can I brag about you a little bit? <coughs> Come on, you go, church. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. 
And so our kids, as, they begin to, as we begin to run, then they begin to serve. They start to help do communion and help with the video and the sound and the worship. And, the, and some of the older ones are helping teach the preschoolers. And they're starting to run with us. They're starting to take their hand on the baton. And Sophie gave that powerful picture a week ago. Such a prophetic picture. They're, they're taking the baton. Oh, what story? Oh, I forgot to tell you this. Look at this one. I, I, we, I was going to speak to the, uh, some of the parents and teachers a few weeks ago. And as I was getting ready to speak, I found this on the desk of the church office. And this is by Jacob. Did you know this? You saw this one, didn't you, Aldona? You know, Jacob had colored this. He's eight years. How old is he? Ten. Ten. So he'd colored this. I don't know how old it was, but he'd colored this. And, of course, it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But below he's done an acronym for his name. Jacob, joy, artistique in a French way. Artistique, of course. He's cool and he's awesome. Hey, we can be phonetic, right? And he's brave. I thought, hey, this guy's getting it. He's getting the story and he's in the story. Woo! What story? Well, better get that straight. So every story has kind of this introductory setting where the characters are introduced and everything's probably... Not bad, you know, things are okay. And then there's a crisis, and then you have this ongoing conflict and this, because of the crisis and struggle, and then you hopefully have some kind of conclusion. So in the Bible, we have the story of the creation in the garden, the fall, Abraham, God calls Abraham and says, hey, I want to make everything right, you're, only I'm not going to do it without you. And Abraham says, I don't want to, and he said, it's okay, you're going to do it anyway. And then the gospel... Uh, is kind of a continuity of the Abraham-Israel story. Uh, the way I say it in our vision statement is that our story is the story of Jesus set in the context of Israel's story, as written in the, in the, New, in the Old Testament, and the story of Jesus as <coughs> described and interpreted by the writers of the New Testament. So obviously the scriptures are really critical in all this. And then the eschaton, the second coming, the, 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 the coming age... You see, the, the, the tension of, of finding our longing fulfilled in another world is that is, is Lewis didn't have language yet for this in his, uh, his writings, but now we understand it as this already not yet aspect of the kingdom. So that's why we feel like, oh, man, I met God. I, I, but why are we still hungry? Why are we still thirsty? Why? It's, it's, we're not home yet. We're home but not home. And there's that tension through our whole lives. And so Lewis and others found imagination and story were so critical for anchoring us and, and finding a way out of these dilemmas and in this already and not yet, these tensions that we're in. And that's why a story like Lord of the Rings, like you can't analyze, you know, you try to make the king, the Jesus and Lord of the Rings, and it doesn't work, right? If you try to moralize and try to be preachy about it, it just doesn't work. But that's the power story is it's not preachy. It's not moralizing. It's power stories. It just speaks. It speaks with the mind and cognitive can't fully grasp because it also goes to the heart. And truth is not just cognitive. It's emotional. It's experiential. It's relational. It's all of, all of the above. Why am I yelling? I don't know. I'm excited. It's dr dramatic. I'm being dramatic. So, in summary, the story is God has never given up on his intention to put this world right.
But he's chosen to not do this apart from us. So when I say us, I mean humans, people. He could just say, let's make it right. But he's not going to do it that way. He said, I'm going to do it with you. And, and here's the scandal of the story. Because our story is an, oh, here's another great success. Oh, yeah, Jacob, real great success. David, oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Abraham lies. Sarah's hot at 90 years of age. He lies and says, well, she's my sister. I didn't want her to kill me, right? So they're deceptive. They're fearful. You see failure. And that's, a, that's an important part of the story. Our kids need to hear that. They need to hear it's not all just, you know, got this Christian spin on it. So, we're broken people, and that's the, isn't that the miracle that God chose us to? He chose to use us. Every day, every day, I'm overwhelmed by the mercy of God. I'm kind of tender, because Joel, the, the reporter, came and interviewed me and, on Friday night, and we were there till midnight. And he just wanted to hear my story. And I, I had to get Kathleen to pray for me yesterday because it just opened up yeah. a lot of things that I'd forgotten. And the grace of God, the fact that I'm alive here today is a miracle. I shouldn't be alive. I mean, it's true of all of us, but I've got a lot of tangible evidence where God just intervened. His mercy. I'm here today because of mercy. I'm here today because of his grace. And so, this story, can we pass it on? How? Sunday school's good. We're, we're, we're encouraging our teachers to be creative and use tactile, multiple intelligence and engage them creatively in the story. Intergenerational worship, the way we're being intentional about that is so important. Engaging them in the gifts and involving them in worship. And in serving. But not just the Bible stories. Why is there a big hole in a lot of our stories that starts at the end of the book of Acts and the kids know nothing until today? What about church history? That's a legacy my parents gave me. They gave me missionary stories of David Livingston and John Wesley and, and, and the Salvation Army. And I was inspired by the stories of faith. I was encouraged. The only weakness was it only started at about 1600. <laughs> What about those 1,600 years before? Because we kind of had a little suspicion of the Catholics. But what about St. Francis? What about St. Benedict? These are my heroes today. Thank God for Regent College. It just poured, dumps that into you. We have a tradition and a heritage that's so rich. Hey, our, our existence is not at stake here, folks. The church of God is alive and well. It's been going for 2,000 years. And we have a rich heritage to draw from. And what about your story? Have you told your story to your kids? What about their story? Maybe as you learn to tell them your story, they learn to tell their story. They learn to find language and faith. Language of faith. <clears throat> what about our church's story? Have we documented our beginnings and the journey of the last 20, 24 years? What a story. What a story. It's a, it's a remarkable... Joel, he's, he's not a Christian. He's a, he's a UBC journalist master's student. He's absolutely captivated by what God's doing amongst us. Our journey with Lower Post, Francis' story, 
But not just the lower post journey, you guys, what he sees amongst us, it has captivated him. And we, I haven't tried to sell it, just let him. He came last night to our lower post prayer meeting, just, he was going to film it, and I said, well, maybe the first time, don't film it. But some of us might be freaked out, and I was right. Um, <sighs> but I love, I just, I'm loving watching this. I'm just loving, loving, just, just letting you be in. Yeah, at the end of the prayer meeting, he said, well, I'm just praying that the media will get, get it right, you know. That's <laughs> so cute. Psalm 71, listen to this. Since my youth, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty acts to all who are to come. So, in conclusion, story is essential for passing on the faith. For it provides the Holy Spirit with the content to capture both our minds and our hearts by means of the imagination. So I want to, in your home groups and as you pray and reflect, ask yourselves these questions. What story has had a formative impact on your life? Of course the gospel has, but... What story within the gospel? Stories within the story. For me, it was crossing the switchblade as a kid. I read David Wilkerson's story of going to New York City, one of my heroes of the faith. It, sh it shaped me. It's probably one of the reasons why I'm an East Side, was David Wilkerson's legacy. What was it about the story that impacted you and why? And what are some of the ways you can cultivate the art of storytelling? And you know, some of us are better than others. But I think there are things we all have and we can all do. Like one of the most powerful things I do with my grandkids is when I, I find the Holy Spirit naturally inspires me to tell a story. For, and when I'm doing a Bible story, I'll all of a sudden start before the story. I'll go back. And I'll, like the leper, I'll go back to when he was going to school and has fun with his buddies and then one day he finds his little spot on his hand. And he goes to his mummy and his mummy looks concerned and she takes him to the doctor and Within a few months, he's ostracized. He can't even be with his friends anymore. See, the kids are brought in to that story, right? And at the end of the, end of the story, my grandkids said, that was awesome. That was awesome. Well, how many times had they heard that story? They'd heard it a lot of times. But see, there's that, just that fresh surprise and uh, turn that imagination gives us. So let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And first of all, I ask that you would just challenge us afresh with the incredible opportunity we have right now, this time, history, this place. Thank you for this beautiful children and young people that you've brought to our church, and we just consider that such a sacred trust, God. Such a sacred trust, God. And Lord, we know we can't do it. We know we'll screw up. We know we'll, we'll fail. But Lord, you said that as we abide in the vine, Lord, we will bear much fruit. And so we come to you, the storyteller, the one of whom this psalm was written from Psalm 78. It was actually quoted as a description of your life and ministry that without a parable you didn't even speak 
without a story you didn't even speak. You were the master storyteller, Jesus. And we want to follow you and we want to be like you. Show us, each of us, afresh gifts, ways. Lord, help us to sharpen our tools for the sake of the next generation to be, to be creative and spirit-led and inspired and imaginative. And, and Lord, I just pray that you will unfreeze the feelings of church kids who somehow feel still that they have to go to church or they have to do this or they have to do that. I pray that through story and imagination and creativity, you would, you would unfreeze those feelings. And their hearts would be strangely warmed. Where goodness and beauty will again kiss each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Gordy was talking and talking about story, I was thinking about um, there's a great uh, TV, kids' TV show called Super Why. I don't know if you're familiar with it. If you've seen it, it's kind of a newer one, but it's one that my kids watch. And Super Why goes into books. He always goes into books to find the super story answer. And he'll come upon these characters and he'll say things like to Goldilocks. He'll say, um, you know, Goldilocks will say, Goldilocks ate all the porridge and broke the chair. And in the show, there's the, the story and underneath are the words. And sometimes the characters in the story will say to Super Y, well, I can't do anything else because, look, this is my story. Right underneath, here's my story. I broke the chair and I ate all the porridge. This is my story. And Super Y comes and Super Y says, let's change the story. And he says to the kids, what's the super story answer? How can we change this? And we have found this with our own children when we have moments where we need to correct them. We'll say, if you were Super Y, how would you change this story? Instead of saying, Pax didn't listen to his mom. Let's go back. Let's change the story. And as Gordy was talking, I feel like there are some of you here today that you believe a story that's been told about you, and it's not the story that God wrote for you. I feel like the story that says, Erica has cancer. I want to change that story today. I want to say that's not a story from God. I want to change that story. I want to ask the Lord to change that word that would say, Erica has been healed from cancer. And I feel like there are others of you here that one of the reasons why you're frozen is that you are believing a story that it's literally like it's under your feet. Like in this children's story, my story says, well, I can't do anything else because my story says, this is the way that I am. And, you know, the word Monica had and Gordy spoke again is, do you know what's under our feet? The word of God is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. So what is your story today? If you had a superhero in the form of a little boy who could come with a cape or a little girl who could come today and say, that doesn't have to be your story. How can you change that today? What would it say? What does God want your story to say today? Edwin doesn't feel like he's drowning anymore. Edwin feels rescued today. Now, what's that story? So, Father, I just pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by imagination and story, 
that you would speak. I, I challenge you to just take a minute and ask God, God, what does your story say about me today? What's, what's that one-line story today? I sense in my spirit that the Lord is giving birth to something powerful today, that there is something new being born today. I just defy that, that again, just that death. You know, that uterine cancer, I just say no. As a woman that has given birth to three beautiful, healthy babies that are living and alive and bright, I just say life. I just speak life in Jesus' name. I speak life to you. I speak life to you as a congregation. I just speak healing. I feel like we're to ask for healing today, but I feel like we're not. I feel like we're just to ask God to inspire us, that our imaginations would run away with us, that we would even pray prayers that are scary. Sometimes my kids will just pray a prayer that's so big, I think, oh my gosh, don't say that, because what if it doesn't come true? What if you're disappointed? I just feel like God is just shutting that down today. So come, Lord Jesus. We asked you. We asked you in worship. We asked you to come. I believe that you are here and that you are walking through the aisles right now just wanting to change, that you have the super story answer. You have the super story answer for each person. You want to just change those words. C.S. Lewis was not a, a musician, but he believed that music was the highest form of imagination. So I just want to bless you musicians. Because that's one of the most powerful ways in Scripture the story was passed on, was through music. And we just, we yes. just breathe, Lord, ask that you just breathe creativity, fresh creativity, yes. Lord. And I thank you for the songs, yeah. new songs that are already coming, for some of the songs that Corey has written. I just yes. pray for more. Let it come, Father. Can I just release, uh, and I don't want to presume, but uh, uh, there's something hovering over certain people and Courtney there's a gift of creativity ready to as Joanna's been just really laboring to bring this forth it's on you and it's it's like if you would just step into it God has this incredible creativity for you so I'm not sure what it is whether it's music art dance drama but there's something that you need to grab a hold of right it's on you and so maybe you guys, Christine you and, and Mason, can pray for her. It's a very special day for you today. It's your birthday. But it's also, a, a, like Joanna talked about, it's a new birthing of something. You have a creative gift, and you have to rise up. There's something happening to you, Jamie. I think God is unlocking. There's utterance that God has for you in this whole area of communicating about the imagination. And I just there's just a heavy weight on you. It's just uh, almost a glory cloud. I see it in the spirit. And I think that you just have been kind of stuck. I don't know. I just see there's the enemies tried to stop you from communicating about this. So I just want someone who knows Jamie, if that's a witness to you, just to come and pray and release utterance to, for him to communicate, you know, the language of, commu of, of the story, the language of, of uh, imagination. Does that witness to you? Um, this man back here by you, Miles, Sky, have you had the opportunity to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior yet, Sky? Because there's just such a beautiful 
joy on you and, uh, you know, just a beautiful release of God's blessing on you. And I think God really wants to he bring some significant healing to you physically and mentally. If anybody has a witness, if, is that a witness? I mean, have you proclaimed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That you understand him? Yeah, he's just so full of joy. It's just amazing. Makes me just want to go and give him a hug. Oh. <laughs> Edwin. Yeah. Uh, Gordy, you mentioned about C.S. Lewis and talking about music being like the, the universal language. Pascal observed that uh, it is not... Uh, how does it go on? Pascal observed that it is not... The, oh, to change the lives of any generation it is not the people who write the laws, but rather the people who write the songs. That's awesome. Good quote. Did you guys get that? Wow. Pretty cool. Well, we want to be sensitive to our parents, uh, no, to our kids, uh, to our kids' workers. Uh, our time is past for sign-out. So I'm just, we're just going to gently transition. We're, we want to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to, to move. Uh, I just uh, want to be an encouragement to those of you that have offered your lives to serve our kids. And that is, of course, our parents. Uh, but also those of you that are partnering you know, with them, being mentors and babysitters and Sunday school teachers and, or just... Just being a, just good friends and, and helping create a community that is just so fun for our kids to be a part of. Thank you for, why don't we, we uh, nah, I'm not going to ask you to stand. You can, you can sit or stand, but I just want to bless you with the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God. And uh, can, I, can I be Catholic and say the peace of the Lord be with you? Ah, thank you. I need that. Thank you. <laughs> Just, Erica, please come. Um, anyone else that needs uh, prayer for healing, come. Did you have a thing? Great. Okay, yeah, please come. Mason's going to thank you. Yes, please, cancer driver. Um, if this isn't right, that's totally cool, but Aldona and Bob... I know in the past, I just, I know that you shared when we were doing our clinic that you just felt like God was challenging you for greater faith, for healing. I just want to encourage you if you can come and pray. And just, Bob, I wondered if you would be willing to pray also if there's people who need healing today, if you would be willing to come and pray. Just felt like maybe there was something there for you. And um, yeah, everyone else, just, if you're enjoying being here, please don't feel like you have to leave. <laughs> um, but if you're done, be blessed to go. And um, if you just want prayer, please come, and we'll pray for whatever. Thank you so much for being here today.